MSW Media. News was wearing daily beans, daily beans, daily beans, daily beans. Hello. Welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020. Today, it's the day we've been waiting for, the final day to cast your votes in the most consequential election of our lifetimes. Also, the, ab- the absurd legal theory conservative judges are using to disenfranchise voters. How a fake persona led to the Hunter Biden conspiracy. Rick Grinnell posts a photo of a maskless Joe Biden, but the problem is the picture is from 2019. QAnon was the single most frequent hashtag retweeted by accounts identified as Russian-backed. And today in I Couldn't Make This Shit Up If I Tried, a Russian oligarch named The Sausage King is murdered with a crossbow in a hot tub. I'm your host, A.G. And I'm Dana Goldberg. It's like, it's Russian clue, right? The Sausage King did it in the hot tub with a crossbow. I mean, when you were saying it, I, I did everything I could not to laugh during the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so what's good, Dana? OMG, it's Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020, a day I've been fucking waiting for since November 9th, 2016. Yeah, I, it's finally here. It is finally here. You know, it's it's wonderful people uh, in the news, you know, some people are being interviewed, they're like, how long have you been waiting to vote? And the guy's like, four years! I've been four waiting years. for four years! Ah. <sighs> Yeah. And we still have, don't get me wrong, we still have three months left unless he loses in such a fucking landslide that he, you know, he can't just leave, right? The the Secret Service has total control of this fucker wherever he goes, but he's built, I guess, some extra fencing around the White House because he's scared. Right. And uh, it's just, he's just going to... I don't know. We'll see what happens. But um, it's, I, I think he, I think he resigns um, and tries to get the pardon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. They will be. I mean, thank God for New York. But if he loses in the landslide, and let's hope that happens tonight. Um, and hopefully we'll know by tonight. You never know. I know that most of us, you know, the, the, the most of the polls and the closings and everything are going to be after you listen to this. But hopefully he we know this evening. That would be lovely. Mm. Yeah, that's my that's my hope of hopes. And um, right now, probably, uh, well, today from, you know, starting at three Pacific time, we're doing election live coverage results. And we'll be talking to like Andy McCabe and Rachel Vindman and Natasha Bertrand and Sam Vinograd, Frank Vigluzzi. We have so many people joining us. It's going to be awesome. And I'm going to be doing that, hosting that with uh, Kelly from Two Broads Talking Politics and Jen from The Electorate. It's going to be so cool. And also on this show today, I'm going to be speaking with Josh Geltzer about his op-ed with former Solicitor General Neil Katyal about the ridiculous legal theory that conservative judges are trying to use to restrict voting. Uh, But before that, we have a lot of good news about voting, and we're going to hit that in the hot notes. Hot notes. Lead story today, a federal judge in Texas has rejected a GOP-led challenge Monday seeking to invalidate nearly 127,000 drive-through ballots cast in the Democratic-leaning Houston area. We've been waiting for the results of this lawsuit. It's a major last-minute challenge to voting rules in a closely-watched state ahead of the election. Uh, And, you know, in which some officials have made special accommodations amid the coronavirus pandemic. An appeal has already been made uh, to the Fifth Circuit. Um, 
And throughout the hearing, the judge, Judge Hanan, a GW judge, appeared to grapple with the idea that 127,000 people had already voted in drive through polling centers and whether if he invalidated the process, they'd be able to vote on Election Day. He goes, quote, a lot of people would say, gee, if I had known there was a question about voting drive-ins, I would have parked my car and walked to the polls. <laughs> <laughs> At one point, Hainan raised the question of whether drive through voting would be permissible on Election Day. Hainan said while holding up a book, I'm looking at the statute. It says on Election Day they're supposed to vote in a building. So on Monday, Christina Ford, that's an attorney representing Democratic parties that intervened in the case, uh, said that provisional ballots do not have a checkbox on them to reflect that the voter had cast a ballot at a drive through location. And if that uh, and if a voter is found to have intent to vote twice, it is a criminal offense. So they would be committing a crime by no fault of their own. Voters relied on county officials, she said, and invalidating their ballots would cause mass confusion and create frant a frantic situation with voters trying to figure out if they could cast a provisional ballot in a separate case. Um, now, this is also happening in Nevada. A judge rejected a Republican lawsuit seeking to halt early counting in Clark County, Clark County counting, which includes Las Vegas, uh, over the stringency of a signature matching computer software program and how closely observers can watch votes being counted. Steve Vladek, friend of the pod, he's been on a few times, CNN Supreme Court analyst and professor at University of Texas School of Law, said the lawsuit fits a broader pattern of GOP-led lawsuits claiming voter fraud. Quote, like so many 11th hour voting related suits filed by Republicans in recent weeks, the suit has almost nothing to do with voter fraud. <laughs> Vladek, who has intervened on behalf of defendants, wrote an op-ed published in the Washington Post saying, rather, it's the latest in a consistent and cynical line of suits in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Minnesota, among others, that appear motivated by partisan gain, assuming that the exclusion of any set of ballots from Harris County, quote, is good for Republicans. So uh, this is Vladek's uh, Washington Post op-ed. And then, of course, Josh Geltzer and Neil Katyal wrote one, too. And that's who I'm going to be talking to when I speak Later in the show, by the way, to Joshua Geltzer, I recorded that interview earlier, and that was before we learned about the Harris County decision in federal court. And it was also before we learned that the Republicans also lost their cases in Pennsylvania and Minnesota today. So everybody also check out Mark E. Elias on Twitter. He's the founder of the Democracy Docket. He's one of the lawyers fighting for voting rights. Um, so I wonder how many votes he will have saved when all this is said and done. Thousands. But yeah, follow him. Yeah, hundreds of thousands. But follow him, Mark E. Elias, on Twitter. Give him a follow, and you will stay up to date on all of the voting rights cases. There's like 100 in court right now. There's so many of them, and I'm so glad that, especially Harris County, like they're doing the right thing down there. This is, I mean, it's huge. It really is. And then in Pennsylvania, I, I saw that people are standing in line for hours and hours to fix, to fix their errors on their mail-in ballots. They were let know, they were, they were notified that there were problems, so they're literally waiting in lines and lines in, in some cold weather to fix it. And they're like, we'll be in this line until, until, until it's done. Mm -hmm. And by the way, when people ask me, you know, this Harris County, 127,000 votes, uh, it's, it's going to go to appeal. It's going to go to the fifth circuit, which is a very, very conservative circuit. People are like, Oh, we're going to lose. And Oh, we're going to lose in the Supreme court. No, I, I do not think so. My beans are because the Texas Supreme court said we have to keep the votes and they're all super conservative. Right. And then this judge is a GW judge. He's super fucking 
sketch ass conservative. He's made some shit ass decisions in his time, but he was he came down on the right side on this one. And it was a it was a timing thing. They're like, you look, they made this rule for drive in balloting months and months and months ago. And five days before the election, you want to sue? Fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) Fuck you. I love when you say it like that. (laughs) Fuck you. you i don't think i think that the fifth circuit will say no uh and and uh, hand a loss to the republicans and i don't think the, i don't think the supreme court will even hear it and if they do it'll be unanimous i promise just watch no i agree 100 percent. my beans are with your beans uh this next Yay, one beans. is either um something out of a i left this one for you. novel i know you did i'm so thankful or it's like a political mad lib where you remember those where you just filled in a noun and a <laughs> verb and like we'll see what the hell happens that's exactly what this headline sounds like a russian oligarch nicknamed the sausage king has been murdered with a crossbow <laughs> <laughs> and I laugh. I'm sorry. I know someone lost their life, but it's, you know, it's not another one of those things, like you said, a heart attack outside of a fifth, you know, story building. So help me out with the Russian last name here. Vladimir Murugov. Yeah, that's good. Mer- Marugov. All right. We're going to go with Marugov. Vladimir Marugov. Marugov. Yeah. There we go. Vladimir uh, Marugov and his partner uh, were in an outdoor sauna cabin when they were attacked reportedly by two masked assailants. The woman managed to escape through the window and call the police. <laughs> This is so crazy. It's a caper. I know. It's fucking nuts. Directives found the body of Mr. Murgov, who owned some of Russia's largest meat processing plants in the sauna with the crossbow next to it. Well, he is the sausage king of Russia. He is the sausage king, which means he must be known for his meats. <sighs> okay. A suspect has been detained. Okay. In connection with the murder, according to Russia's RIA news agency. That's uh, who, who, who broke that. The individual has not been named. The getaway car was later recovered on the outskirts of the town of Istra, outside Moscow. Mr. Marugov, son Alexander, died in a motorcycle accident in Moscow last year. Oh my fuck. Like, come on already. It's that's why I, you know, when sometimes my mom jokes and she's like, Dana, you need to be careful on Twitter. And I'm like, you know what? I'm probably on a list somewhere. Donald Trump blocked me, right? The oh. beginning of his presidency. I mean, we're both on a list. Well, you're on a list for other reasons. Mm. But you know, it's one of those things with Putin as his best friend. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not just going to taste the drink someone hands me. What are you talking about? <laughs> I, I've hired a taster, honestly. Yes. Um, yeah, this is incredible. And of course, the first thing that popped into my head was Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago. Yes. As I'm sure popped into everyone else's head uh, our age. Uh, but it's just, I I like that the woman managed to escape through the window. Mm-hmm. There's a getaway car. This is a caper. This is a fucking caper is what it is. There's no other word for it. And they left. They didn't take the crossbow to get rid of it. They left it and right next to the victim. (laughs) (laughs) Why do you need to shoot somebody point blank with a crossbow? Why are you taking a crossbow in a sauna? Man, why is there a window in the sauna? I don't. There's so many things wrong with this story. (laughs) (laughs) This script is totally rejected. Rejected. (laughs) Done. This is not getting greenlit. Come on, people, think outside the box. I'm only laughing because this is a Russian oligarch. So fuck that guy. He's killed millions. Um. All right. Let's see here. One month before a purported leak of files from Hunter Biden's laptop happened right this is the laptop saga a fake intelligence document about him went viral on the right-wing internet asserting an elaborate conspiracy theory involving biden his father and business in china 
a 64-page document. It was later uh, disseminated by close associates of Trump, Rudy, and the rest. Appears to be the work of a fake intelligence firm called Typhoon Investigations, according to research researchers and publishing documents. And this is a lot like Jacob Wool's firm, where he used like models, pictures from the internet to put as his board of directors, and he used his mom's <laughs> phone number for the contact phone number. It's set up that poorly. Oh, shit. Um, So it is sloppy AF. Now, an unverified leak of documents, including salacious pictures from what Trump's personal attorney Giuliani and a Delaware Apple repair store owner claimed to be Hunter Biden's hard drive, were published in the New York Post in October 14th, on the 14th, as we know. Associates close to Trump, including Rudy and former White House Chief Chief Strategist Steve Bannon, who's being indicted for fraud right now, have promised more leaks and secrets, uh, which have yet to materialize. The fake intelligence document preceded a leak this leak by months, and it helped lay the groundwork among right, right-wing media for what would become a failed October surprise, a viral pile-on of conspiracy theories about Hunter Biden. In addition to posting the document to his blog, Balding, this guy who who uh, said he found it, he only wrote a little, he, he said uh, he talked about it on Steve Bannon's podcast called China Unscripted. That's a podcast produced by The Epic Times. That's a pro-Trump media outlet. Um, opposed that oppose you know that opposes the Chinese government. Maddo did a whole expose on the Epic Times. Balding's blog was the primary deliverer of virality in conservative and conspiracy communities. The report itself was shared across Facebook around five thousand times, according to Buzz Sumo, and more than eighty sites linked back to the blog, which shared more than twenty five thousand times on Facebook and Twitter. Hyperpartisan and conspiracy sites like Zero Hedge and WorldNet Daily led the pack. And after the promise of a big reveal one day earlier, the document was also posted on the extremist forum 8Kun by Q, the anonymous account behind QAnon. Uh, On Twitter, the document was uh, pushed by influencers in the QAnon community, as well as by Ding Gang Wang, an anti-Chinese government YouTube personality who works for Guo Wangwei, a billionaire who fled China amid accusations of bribery and other crimes. Uh, and, of course, Republican Newt Gingrich, not to be outdone, former Speaker of the House, tweeted the document to his 2.3 million followers because <laughs> it's super legit. Oh, man. So, yeah. And speaking of QAnon, in a new report out from Reuters today, researchers said in August that the archive showed Russian accounts had helped spread QAnon in volume in volume beginning in December 2017, but that uh, the team did not examine the history of specific QAnon promoters. But a more granular review by Reuters shows Russian accounts began amplifying the movement as it started uh, early in the previous month. From November 2017 on, QAnon was the single most frequent hashtag tweeted by accounts that Twitter has since identified as Russian-backed. This is according to the Reuters analysis of the archives, with the term used 17,000 times by Russians. Ness. More like Gruanon, am I right? Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, seriously, these people that believe in these QAnon theories, these are the people that scare the shit out of me. Like, I can see the, mm. the racists and I can see the Nazis and I know who you are, but these QAnon people, they look just like the rest of us. <laughs> They're like running for Congress. I'm like, holy shit. Yeah. Frightening. All right. Speaking of uh, morons in in politics, Donald Trump's former intelligence chief has been mocked for posting a photo criticizing Joe Biden for not wearing a mask. The photo was taken in 2019. (laughs) Richard Grinnell, (laughs) Jesus, who was acting director of national intelligence from February until May this year, tweeted the image on Sunday afternoon of Mr. Biden on a plane in November of 2019 and him on the campaign trail in the recent months. 
And of course, this was the tweet. Washington, D.C. phony, he said. At Joe Biden doesn't wear a mask on a plane, but he wears one outside. Now, the photo of Mr. Biden. I'm what? The photo of Mr. Biden without a mask was taken months before the pandemic broke. I don't know why these idiots don't realize that there's a thousand people on Twitter that know that that photo was old and they're going to get caught being idiots. Uh, So that did not stop uh, the detractors of Joe Biden uh, at all from liking this 35,000 times. And then Fox News host Mark Levine, Levin, Mark Levin, Mark Levin, I don't know. Uh, It's so funny how I don't care about their names uh, because I don't care about them. Uh, But uh, Fox News host Mark Levin, then he retweeted the image, which now is from 2019, but has been like 35,000 times, to his 2.4 million followers. This is how disinformation (laughs) is spread on the web, people. Now, yeah, dummies talking to dummies, right? And and what was really funny was when that, you know, when Grinnell tweeted that. John Cipher, uh, who he quote tweeted him and he's like, well, to be fair, you guys, Rick Grinnell is an idiot. And then General Mike Hayden retweeted him saying, absolutely right. He's a fucking idiot. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> like these former spies and generals are just like, yeah, to be fair, he's an idiot. That's oh, just fun man. to watch. But um, despite all that other bullshit with that, we do have some good news. Lots of good news. I love these numbers. Um, 239,822, and this is uh, as of when we had this information, African-American voters over the age of 65 have already voted in Georgia. Georgia. That's 124% of the total, the total turnout from the 2016 election of African-American seniors. That's 124% of the total turnout that we had in 2016 from these specific voters. In addition to that, AG, we've got more Latino voters have Mm. already voted also in Georgia. Right there, we have 106,292 um, then voted the entire 2016 election in the state as well. That total was only 96,000, around 465. So that's another jump already of 20,000 new Latino voters uh, in Georgia, hopefully new. Uh, meanwhile, and this is the number that I really like, uh, meanwhile, non Uh, The white non-college educated voters in Georgia are lagging behind their 2016 vote total by 439,513 votes, almost a half a million votes behind in Georgia. Will they go out and vote the day of? Possibly, but they are lagging behind now. Yeah, they tend to be same day voters, but that's a huge ass margin in in a state like Georgia. Yeah. Um, and early voting in Arizona just surpassed its entire vote count from 2016. So we've done that in Texas now, and we've done it in Arizona and two other states, but I can't remember which ones. But yeah, the early voting numbers in Arizona are now bigger than the entire voting numbers, including same-day voters in 2016. It's amazing. It's incredible. We are going to break records, and you know what? God willing, it goes in our favor. We all hope it does, and it should. There's more of us than there are of them. Uh, but the fact that maybe our democracy is starting to wake up again, and we're about to break a record that we haven't seen in this country in a century uh, with voting mm-hmm. is least it's a good thing. It is a good thing. Yeah, I've never seen a hundred million people just afraid to jinx something so badly. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> we're all just I like, <laughs> I'm gonna just wait and see what happens. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it could be close. Oh, god. Could be close. It's gonna be a fucking landslide Dak on and then who's it Callan is it Callan that's saying like this is, y'all need to chill out this is gonna be a blowout 
I, I, you know, I'd love yeah. to think that, but I mean, let's let's just wait and see what happens tonight. <sighs> That's what we're all doing, right? Don't want to jinx it. I'm just not. Hey, we'll see. Uh, yeah, and we will. That's true. We definitely will see. And coming up next, uh, I'm going to be discussing the absurd legal theory conservative judges are using to cancel your votes, or try to at least. Uh, He's the executive director and visiting professor of law at Georgetown University Law Center's Institute for Constitutional Advocacy. It's Josh Geltzer. He's been on the show. So you'll definitely want to hear that. It's a really, really cool interview. Uh, And we're also going to talk about the process. You know, what happens? Does does Donald Trump actually have to concede in order for the election to be certified? The answer will not surprise you. uh, And we'll talk about it soon. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. Thanks for listening to The Daily Beans. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. I'm an advocate of seeking professional help when you need it most. So if you're struggling with anything that's preventing you from living your happiest life, I highly recommend BetterHelp. BetterHelp is not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. They'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist and you can start communicating in less than 24 hours. You know I face my own challenges with PTSD and I know it's important to seek help rather than try to face it alone. And BetterHelp's services are available for clients worldwide with a broad range of expertise in their counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. And the best thing about BetterHelp is you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change your counselor if you want. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. Visit their website and read some testimonials like this one by BetterHelp user BI who says, Angelica is empathetic and sympathetic but not patronizing. She listens with intent and with genuine care. She won't tell you what you want to hear but what you need to hear. Direct yet gentle, she has helped me through one of the most trying times of my life. So visit BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And join the over 800,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Daily Beans listeners. Get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today is Executive Director and Visiting Professor of Georgetown University's Law Center's Institute for Constitutional Advocacy. And he's also a former Senior Director for Counterterrorism at the NSC, National Security Council. Please welcome Josh Geltzer. Josh, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for the chance to come back. I love having you on the show because you explain things in such reasonable and easy to understand terms. And and that's why I wanted to talk to you because I know you're an expert about this. And on October 30th, you penned a piece for The Washington Post with former Solicitor General, author of the Special Counsel Regulations, and former guest on our show, Neil Katyal. And this is about a legal theory that is starting to surge among conservative judges and justices that has to do with state legislatures. And it impacts many of the more than 100 cases currently in the courts about vote restrictions. And I was hoping you could explain this theory, quote unquote. I'd be happy to. And this this theory, uh, quote unquote, begins with the text of Article 2 of the Constitution. That's a fair place to begin, which says that each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct, end quote, that state's representatives to the Electoral College. In other words, Article 2 of the Constitution says that states and state legislatures shall set up the way in which Electoral College representatives are chosen within those states, and of course, those Electoral College reps then choose the president. Now, this theory takes two words in particular there, the legislature and just ratchets them beyond recognition or reason, at least as, as Neil and I see it. 
It says basically that if any other actor within the state comes along and has anything to do with voting rules, that's illegitimate. That's unconstitutional because that's not, quote, the legislature. And I know we'll get into this as we talk, but that strikes me as, first of all, flying directly in the face of a Supreme Court decision handed down five years ago out of Arizona. And second of all, just not a good understanding of how law operates in America. (laughs) Yeah. And um, you may or may not have a little knowledge of constitutional law, being the executive director there at Georgetown um, for constitutional advocacy. But tell me about this Supreme Court decision in 2015 that comes out of Arizona, because you say in this article, you and Neil say that this is their decision is the opposite of what is this, you know, this ridiculous theory is. That's right. I mean, this 2015 case really resolves this theory. It, it, to, to continue to press this theory, one needs to ignore it entirely. So it, it's a somewhat complicated case, and it has to do with Arizona and uh, removing redistricting authority uh, from the state legislature, investing it instead in an independent commission. But zooming out, what the case was about really was those two words, the legislature. They they appear uh, also in in other parts of the Constitution. And the question is whether those words mean truly the legislature alone, wholly by itself, or do they mean lawmaking as it happens within a state? And the Supreme Court answered that question in the case. They said it doesn't just mean the legislature wholly alone. Instead, it means the way in which law gets made. Sometimes that can involve a governor. Governors often sign bills that come to them from state legislatures to make them state laws. It can involve a role for state courts construing those laws. So it rejected the notion that when you see the words the legislature in the Constitution in this way, it has to mean isolating, putting in a vacuum the state legislature. And instead, what it means is How does a state go about making laws and setting rules? And importing that to this context, the context of of voting rights and some of the challenges that are percolating in the courts right now and have been percolating over the past few weeks, what it means is there is nothing wrong with a state law that then needs to get implemented by a state official, that then needs to get interpreted by a state court because laws don't say every last thing in the statutes. Instead, others need to figure out what they mean in a given context or resolve tension between two laws in a situation in which they seem to point in opposite directions. So I think what it take what we can take from that 2015 Supreme Court decision and apply here is it just doesn't make sense to say the legislature needs to say every last word, every tiny detail of how voting is going to work in a state in order for it to comply with Article 2 for president selecting purposes or even Article 1 for member of Congress selecting purposes. I have two questions about that, because that just sort of goes against how law works in the United States, which is what you said in the article. Because, I mean, in fact, if you think about it right now, this administration is in court trying to overturn the ACA, which was a law created by now it's federal legislature. But uh, that's what happens in court is laws are challenged. Right. And sometimes uh, pieces of laws are struck down, like the mandate in the ACA. Sometimes uh, the entire law is gutted, but it is the court's determination as to whether that law is constitutional. That's what they do. They don't make the law. They interpret it. And so it just seems weird that they're relying on something that they use themselves quite often. Uh, And 
further, a question about this 2015 decision in Arizona. You know how sometimes you and I talked about this. There are some decisions that the Supreme Court makes that are not precedential, if that's a word. Uh, you know, if it's a concurrence or if they decide not to hear a case, it gets kicked down. That doesn't necessarily set precedent. Did this decision set this precedent? This I'll start with with the, the last of those. It did is the answer. This was a five justice majority it was actually Justice Ginsburg, the late Justice Ginsburg, who wrote this majority opinion. And you know, five, four decisions are still precedential decisions just because they're close, just for an just because we unfortunately lost recently to to death the the justice who authored it, none of that changes the fact that it's a binding majority decision uh, with full precedential value of the U.S. Supreme Court. So that much is is clear. And and to your earlier point, uh, I of course ag- agree. You know, it's kind of grade school stuff that different parts of our government play different roles. The legislature tends to. Uh, write the rules, and then those rules get implemented by the executive and interpreted when necessary by the courts. So if you come along and say, okay, uh, a a legislature passes a rule about when voting needs to end based on some determination about weather, let's say, as Neil and I float in the article, and a state election official then makes that interpretation. It is going to be inclement weather, so we better shut the polls early because that's what our state legislature said to do. What has just happened? Is that an act of the legislature or of the executive official? And the answer is, of course, both. The the legislature wrote down the rule that said we want our state executive officials to shut the polls early, let's say, if if there's inclement weather coming. That's something the legislature did, and it's something the executive did by taking up the state legislature on, on the responsibility assigned. Similarly, if a court has to come in and resolve a dispute about whether the state official screwed up, is that something that the court did or the legislature did? And again, the answer is both because it's a collaborative exercise. It's a conversation. That's just what, what law is in this country. Well, yeah. I mean, if, if the state legislature says it's up to this person, then that's the rule of the state legislature. I mean, it makes simple sense to me. Um, <laughs> but I think it's just interesting that that, that that's sort of the what they're going with on this. It just doesn't it doesn't hold true to really any scrutiny. And can you talk a little bit about how this applies to some cases that we're familiar with? And I want to say the listeners are familiar with this, but what what happened in Minnesota, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania, and how does this apply? Absolutely. And I'll I'll, I'll maybe work backwards. Let's start with, with Pennsylvania. What went to the U.S. Supreme Court was a decision of Pennsylvania's highest court, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. And it was a decision interpreting that state's election laws. Even the Pennsylvania Supreme Court justices who dissented, and there were a few, were disagreeing on how to understand that state's election laws. And yet, when Justice Alito in particular wrote uh, a short piece, not a binding majority uh, presidential opinion, but his own separate opinion explaining why he would vote to halt that state court decision, he said, and he emphasized, and I'm quoting here, the provisions of the federal constitution conferring on state legislatures, not state courts, the authority to make rules governing federal elections, end quote, led him to to cast the vote that he cast. But someone needs to interpret those laws. So the Pennsylvania Supreme Court does what courts do. They dealt with that tension and they resolved it in a way that they thought was the best construction of the state legislature in light of, of federal law too. Different actors have played different roles in different states. So to go to the North Carolina case there, it was the state board of elections that had interpreted North Carolina law on election rules. And 
it was Justice Gorsuch who indicated that that was somehow illegitimate or problematic or suspect because the State Board of Elections, of course, is not the North Carolina legislature. But of course it's not. Instead, a legislature tells other actors or is told by other actors like courts within that state uh, what to do. And uh, th that's uh, that's, I guess, the, the common thread among those and Minnesota, which is that someone in these states, whether it's courts, whether it's a particular election official or whether it's a state board, have had to say something about what the law means in that state in order to um, in order to sort out a conflict or apply it to unusual circumstances. And the theory that Neil and I are really pushing back hard on in the piece is that that doesn't become an illegitimate exercise or a suspect exercise or certainly an unconstitutional exercise if other actors within the state need to do what other actors in our government always need to do, apply rules and interpret those rules. Mm. And maybe this is a dumb question, um, but didn't they apply the opposite in Bush v. Gore in 2000? There was, in that case, a real sense that um, there would be a problem if a federal guarantee, the guarantee of equal protection in particular, were to be violated. Some of us didn't think it was to be violated, but there was a willingness to, to certainly scrutinize and indeed step in and order the end to a recount under state law because of that. There was also a construction by the U.S. Supreme Court of Florida law and what it did or didn't mean. There they viewed, uh, at least a majority, five justices, viewed Florida law as saying that any counter recount had to wrap up by a date that we tend to refer to as federal safe harbor. It's the date by which Congress has pledged to respect any state's resolution of election disputes so long as they're resolved by that date under rules already in place before voting. And it was the U.S. Supreme Court that in a sense, came along and did, and I don't agree with the result, but they came along and did what these actors within states are doing in these cases. They came along and tried to make sense of what state law meant. And again, it doesn't matter for our current purposes that I and many others agreed with, uh, disagreed with how the Supreme Court understood Florida law. What matters is that it's not an inherently illegitimate exercise for a court, federal or state, to have to work through what state law means in any particular set of circumstances. That's just what courts do. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's just it's uh, there's just sort of hypocrisy all over the place here, isn't there? So I, I have a couple more questions for you, but I need to take a quick break. Can you hang out for a second? Absolutely. All right, great. We'll be right back. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. This pandemic hasn't just tested our country's economic endurance, but it's exposed how important our immune health can be. And that's why I recommend you take the superfood powder Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition, and you take it every day. While other health products boast about one vegetable, Field of Greens is packed with 18 clinically researched essential fruits and vegetables. Plus, it also has green tea, ginger, turmeric, and beets. This powerful superfood combination not only supports heart health, but it can support a healthy immune immune system, metabolism, blood pressure, and digestion. Field of Greens is also loaded with antioxidants, pre- and probiotics. And you just put one scoop in your glass of water and stir, and you're all done. So why settle for one vegetable when you can have the entire Field of Greens? Add Field of Greens to your daily routine and see why your powdered greens, they have earned more than 2,000 five-star reviews. So go to fieldofgreens15.com and get 15% off your first order with promo code BEANS at checkout. That's fieldofgreens15.com. And that's available in two flavors, regular and wild berry. Both taste great. Again, fieldofgreens15.com and use promo code BEANS. 
All right. Welcome back. We're talking to Joshua Geltzer. Josh, uh, I want to ask you now about what's happening in Harris County. We've talked about um, Minnesota, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. But in Harris County, the Texas Supreme Court, all Republican, by the way, has just decided this weekend that the 127,000-ish ballots cast by drive-in dropbox or curbside drop-off should count. And the GOP is also fighting this in federal court. And and there was a hearing today. I, I don't know how that hearing has turned out as of this recording, but does this absurd legal precedent about state uh, legislatures apply in this case? The, the argument is being made. It's one of the arguments, not the only one, but one of the arguments being being made for tossing what appear to be over 120,000 Texas voters who think they've complied with uh, the law as to how to vote in that state. So one of the arguments made is that because um, election officials determined that this curbside voting was appropriate in these circumstances, that that's illegitimate because it wasn't the state legislature. The guidance, the, the rule set down by the state legislature in forming that choice was particularly clear. It's particularly explicit. I mean, it, they said there can be curbside voting when uh, circumstances, in, including uh, medical concerns, health concerns, might merit it. And so it's particularly clear that the state election official acted at the behest of, invitation of, even assignment of the state legislature. But that doesn't stop the argument from getting made that because it wasn't the legislature alone, itself, wholly acting on its own, that that's somehow a, a constitutional problem. Now, it sounds some of the initial reporting uh, I read, like the federal judge was was skeptical of these arguments, at least looking backwards. I gather that the, the arguments about what state law uh, allows for election day itself, for Tuesday itself, may, at least in the eyes of, of this judge, uh, yield a different result. That seemed to be at least less certain. Yeah, that's just so weird. I mean, like if the Constitution says it's up to Jim and then Jim says, all right, I, I say it's up to Bob. And then a federal court comes in and says, nope, it can't be up to Bob. It has to be up to Jim. Ixnay. It's just the weirdest. <laughs> it's just the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I can't. Well, I can't. It's really it's an invitation to state legislatures to violate their state constitutions, because, of course, state courts would want to rein in presumably a state law even if it purported to fulfill a federal constitutional duty on voting that violated a state constitution. And sometimes that's what courts are grappling with, whether state statutes, at least as applied in particular circumstances, violate state constitutional guarantees. And yet this theory would privilege state law over state constitutions on the notion that the legislature alone does the state law thing, usually with the governor as it were, but does it more directly, whereas the state constitutional guarantee is being articulated by a court, not the legislature. So this just turns quite a bit topsy-turvy. Yeah. I have I have one more question. Uh, and by the way, I'd, I'd like to talk to you again when we get this federal court decision on what, what happens in uh, Harris County, because it just it blows my mind that these voters followed the, the directions at the time that were the directions. Uh, it just doesn't seem... I mean, it just doesn't seem legal to to toss their votes out. But, you know, I mean, we saw President Trump the other day say, oh, the Supreme Court's going to hand me a win. Thank you in advance, Supreme Court, which is excruciatingly frightening. It, well, it's it, it's it's, you know, the idea that somehow a, a campaign line should be I, President Trump, expect to lose based on the will of the voters and then have anyone else grab it back. Judges, justices, whomever. That's an anti-democratic pitch, right? Yeah, it is. But that's their thing. And uh, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit more just this last thing here about Trump, because you spoke to CBC News today about the process that unfolds after Election Day. 
uh, to answer the concession question, right? Does the loser have to concede for results to be confirmed? And we've watched over the weekend as Trump has fortified the White House with additional fencing and 150 National Guardsmen. And we've heard that he's going to claim victory before the votes are counted. Does any of that matter? So let me distinguish here between what matters legally versus what matters practically. Legally, a concession has no status. It doesn't change the role that electors to the Electoral College play. It doesn't affect litigation that might be pursued by the campaigns in court. It doesn't affect what Congress does when it sits down January 6th in joint session to resolve any disputes that might persist over slates of electors. Concessions don't have a legal effect. Mm. That said, they may affect people in this country and whether they accept the results as legitimate, whether they honor them peacefully, as I hope we all do, no matter the outcome. So there's a, there's a cognitive effect, there's a legitimacy effect that is worth emphasizing. But as a constitutional structure matter, as a legal matter, it's not the concession that triggers what comes next. Instead, it's other actors in the system that play their role once states finish counting, and however long that takes, Mm. to go ahead and certify the election results. All right. Well, hopefully that won't be some new argument they try to use at the Supreme Court level or with uh, conservative judges and justices. Uh, I appreciate your time today. Thank you for the piece. Everybody check it out. It's in Washington Post by Josh Geltzer and Neil Katyal. And uh, we'll we'll talk after this whole thing is over and see, see where we're at. Sound good? That sounds great. I look forward to it. All right, Josh. Thanks so much. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Sunbasket. Are you looking for fresh dinners that taste great and are good for you and take zero effort? That last part's important to me, and Sunbasket delivers fresh and ready meals that are fast, fresh, and delicious. They heat up in just minutes. You can enjoy incredibly tasty, nutritious meals while avoiding crowded grocery stores, which is so important right now, especially heading into the winter. Sunbasket has amazing recipes for all kinds of dietary preferences, including paleo, Mediterranean, vegetarian, gluten-free, and more. And they make it really easy and totally convenient. Everything is pre-portioned and ready to prep and cook. You can enjoy a dinner full of organic produce and clean ingredients in as little as 15 minutes, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. Each week, Sunbasket offers a wide range of recipes to choose from so you can try amazing dishes like Yucatan sopa de lima with shredded chicken, uh, Indian coconut curry with pan-seared sole, tomatoes and fresh basil, and madras curry bowls with crispy tempeh and cucumber. You can order from any recipes across their menu, skip a week if you need to, or double up on favorite ones. And Sunbasket facilities have the highest level of food and employee safety. They reinforce their strict adherence to operating procedures, and they have increased sanitization frequency in their distribution centers, and they do that to protect you and your family and their employees. And right now, Sunbasket is offering $35 off your order. Go right now to sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans at checkout. That's sunbasket.com slash dailybeans. Don't forget to enter promo code dailybeans at checkout for $35 off your order. Again, sunbasket.com slash dailybeans and enter promo code dailybeans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Hey, Dana, what's good? So, uh, so, so much, so much. <laughs> Something's good. I'm paralyzed right now. I just, I can't, I can't talk about good things. I can't, I don't know what I feel. I, I don't know what I feel. So we're just going to ignore that question and move on to people who do, if that's okay with you. <laughs> yeah, that's what, that's what we do in the good news segment. We talk about what's good because you all yeah. graciously send in your good news stories so that we don't have to sit here and talk about how good things are because we're paralyzed by 
November 3rd. And uh, we appreciate it. You also also sent in some confessions and uh, your corrections. You can do that, by the way, by going to dailybeanspod.com and clicking on contact. And your, your good news stories can be personal or political. I hope we get a ton from uh, from today, yes. from voting, you know, um, I think that would be awesome. I'd love to see those pictures and pod pet tax, you know, so you have to send pictures of your pod pets, regardless of what your good news is about. <laughs> but let's let's kick it off here with let's Mandy uh, prone pronouns, uh, she and her well beanies. It's the last bits of our hope. But I have good news, or at least I'm pretty sure I have good news. I'm the only socialist commie lefty in my family. (laughs) And besides my center-right-leaning older sister, yeah, they do actually exist, the rest of my family is cherry tomato red and has been since before the Reagan era as they were conservatives in a super white farming community in the Midwest. Well, I'm glad to say that due to me living with my parents for the last year or so, I've edged them from being Fox News to being, hmm, we don't always trust Fox News. Mm. And... Since the Fanta fascist is so unbelievably, ridiculously stupid and harmful, even my well-entrenched parents can see what a danger at least he in specific causes. The last time we talked, my dad, who was honestly a smart guy despite his indoctrination, I mean, my smarts come from somewhere, haha, said, well, you know, I mean, down-ballot races are still important, meaning his, that, that is dad speak, that he can't mark the ballot for Trump. Even if he leaves it blank, that's a moral win that makes me proud of them. So... Even though it doesn't matter, more than morally, being that I live in Wyoming, shrug, I will still be watching the numbers with happy glee, knowing that even Trump can't deny that he turned one of the reddest states just a little more blue. P.S. I've included my parents' 16-year-old fuzzer buckets with whom I now live, uh, who do not know it, uh, (laughs) and who do not know it, but I will be getting super pets on the day Biden is declared the winner. Knock on wood. Now, Wyoming, we've had Lynette Grable on a few times. She's the Democratic challenger for the single lone congressional seat in Wyoming. So this is wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm confident that Mandy voted for, for Lynette. Look at these. They're cute. Oh, no. So many oh. kitties. So many kitties. There's a t- orange tabby and then a tuxi. And they're very, they're very chill. They are very chill. And we have more good news. More good news. This is from Amanda. Pronouns she and her. Hey, beans queens. I am writing this while still spontaneously giggling about yesterday's episode. <laughs> I have good news and confessions, and I'll just bullet point it for y'all. I've been col- uh, collating, collating, I've been collating. You got it. Yeah. I don't know why I don't know words all of a sudden. That's all right, dude. I forgot what a bulldozer was the other day. That's a hilarious. Bull- I was like bulldozer. What the fuck is a bulldozer? That's really funny. I'm just sitting there, <laughs> totally sober, just forgetting oh my goodness all right number one i've been collating a list of confessions good news for three weeks but couldn't remember to actually send them case in point (laughs) for a while the only way i could tell the day of the week was by who was co-hosting the show dg wednesdays and amy fridays i usually listen to all my podcasts two times speed because adhd but when i hear the opening music for daily beans i slow that shit down so it lasts longer Awesome. Number three, my husband and I early voted here in Tennessee the second day of early voting, and I get a text from him when when, uh, he got in line asking me to send him a list of who to vote for because, and I quote, you've clearly done more research than the candidates that aren't running for president than I have. So you have two Tennessee voters uh, here that voted all blue. Yes. 
And number four, while in line to vote, a big burly Harley Davidson biker dude with an American flag and a Confederate flag flying on the back of his bike stopped right fucking next to me and just stared up and down the line and shouted, vote Trump or you're not American, am I right? And the entire line of maybe a hundred so voters just nonchalantly looked up from their phones, calmly said, no, and went right back down to their phones. That's fantastic. Uh, he just wrote off with a very visible frown, which I'm sure actually is permanent. Uh, that's not in there. I added that little narration. Oh, more yeah. good news. We have more Resting good news. Dick face. Yes. Yeah. With the money we have saved on commuting and childcare and eating out costs, we finally were able to pay off some debt and buy our first house. That's Woo-hoo! awesome. Amanda, congratulations. Yes, and and attached, I attached pictures of our pups who are now tanning cranky uh, that they have to share a house with the human kids. Uh, Doctor is the tricolored one. Rose is tan. And toy, they're toy fox terriers. Thank you so much for the laughs and the news and a small bit of joy and sanity in this otherwise insane time. Sincerely love you, ladies. And if you are in Tennessee after the plague, I'd love to cook you some bur- good barbecue, pour you some good bourbon. This is a girl after my own heart. Amanda, I'm there. I know. Let's go, Dana. We're going. Let's do it. We're going. Oh, my God. I know. Look at Doctor. No shame. Look at Rose with the bone in her mouth. Ah! <laughs> i love i love the doctor the dog's name is doctor that's so good i also love that rose has a stanchy little bow-legged so i feel like like she's rose like this is rose you know it's not i'm rose like like rose smacked a pack of mob rose and has bourbon with her mother like that's rose don't touch my bone god damn it yeah (laughs) that's a good that's a good voice for rose i think too (laughs) Uh, thank you so much for that. Um, next up, Melissa, she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. I signed up to be an election poll worker in Brooklyn and was just contacted with my assignment. I could only get a half day off my job, but it feels good to be able to help for a few hours. I think it'll be good for my anxiety level on Tuesday to be busy. Yes, yes. Purpose is always helpful with anxiety. Also, some personal good news. My grandparents' 70th wedding anniversary was on October 7th. And a big part of the family had planned was, of course, canceled due to COVID. My brother and I made an impromptu road trip last week and drove to Buffalo to visit my grandparents and family. It was so good to see them, even though we had to be socially distant and wear masks. They're in their 90s, so every visit is precious. When I asked if they had their absentee ballots, my grandpa said they were voting the shithead out of office. (laughs) The same way they always vote in person on election day. My grandma added, everyone should have free health care in college. With all the Trump signs we saw in upstate New York, it was a relief that almost all my family supports Biden. Thanks for all you do. Seventy. Seven zero. Seventy. Years. That's like an arranged marriage. That's amazing. Like, wow. Like from teenage. That are like high school sweethearts. I just love, we're voting the shithead out of office. Rose. <laughs> it's Rose and Dr. Rose. <laughs> we're voting the shithead out, shit out of office. Let's go, Rose. <laughs> Put your bone down. We're going to vote. <laughs> I don't have thumbs. Oh, All right. man. All right. This one is a confession. We have a confession anonymous, uh, pronouns she and her. 
the confession. Last weekend, I went to visit my sister and best friend in Bend, Oregon. My best friend has been organizing a car parade every weekend with Biden flags, pride flags, Black Lives Matter flags, and American flags. The town of Bend is split down the middle, and she and her husband were tired of seeing American flags associated with Trump only, so they decided to take the flag back. Now, while I was in town, I joined the procession with my 11-year-old son. We had a blast driving around town for two hours despite all the middle fingers we got from the Trumpsters we saw. My confession is this. My friend asked that if anyone flipped us off, we give them a peace sign back. So we diligently followed their advice while driving around. I probably won't get parent of the year because while we gave them peace signs, we were blasting FTD by YG featuring Nipsey Hussle. Oh my God. For (laughs) those of you that don't know what FTD is, it's fuck Donald Trump. Um, We discouraged our kids from swearing most of the time, even though I actually love to swear. I mean, it's good for your soul. I also added that, yes. Uh, We played it so many times that my 11-year-old knows most of the words. I'm sure you've heard the song, but in case you haven't, whenever you get frustrated with Trump, I highly recommend a listen. Fuck Donald Trump. (laughs) Fantastic. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And, you know, generally you don't swear in front of the kids, but it's fucking vote Donald Trump out of office season. Oh, oh man. When kids swear, it's the same thing as like because my mom will say fuck every once in a while and it makes me giggle. Oh, my God. I giggle. Yeah. Yeah. Same Z's. Uh, I, I remember. Yeah. I have a goddaughter when she was little. Every once in a while, she'd be like, Jesus Christ. And we would just <laughs> fucking die laughing. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to. Pick up the next two here because they're relatively short. The first one is from Mary, pronouns she and her. My good news is that in the last month, two of my friends announced their respective pregnancies on social media. Both are due next year. I'm looking forward to many Instagram photos of adorable baby humans. I love Thank it. you, Mary, for letting us. That's so cool. And next up from Anonymous, pronouns they and them. I appreciate and support your ability to use the VA because you're a veteran. I wish I could have been a veteran but was denied the ability to serve for medical reasons. I scored really high as a navigator and pilot. I really wanted to serve my country in the military. I did qualify as a nuclear test engineer working for the Navy. Since Iraq, when boarding a plane, people would thank in-uniform service people for their service. This stuck in my cross since I was never able to serve. And I'm sure more people exist uh, that cannot serve. I still love the United States. I do hope that we can get universal health care like the rest of the world. Thanks for keeping me informed over the last two years. Yeah, Anonymous, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think everyone should have free health care, access to quality free health care and uh, and free education. I, I don't see why we don't. I don't understand it at all. It's absurd. Yep. Well, one of the richest countries in the world. And uh, I mean, yeah, it's just it's 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 ridiculous. Hopefully, after we get Trump out, we'll be able to get some of our priorities back in order. Yeah, 100%. All right, we got more good news. This one's coming from Lauren, pronouns she and her. Howdy, Franz. I've listened since the kitchen table days and was at the DC show a thousand years oh. ago. Miracle Theater in D.C. What a fun, fun show. (laughs) Yeah, I've enjoyed every minute of it. It is the Monday before the election, and despite that extreme stress-induced fact, I finally have some good news to submit and hopefully a confession. My good news is that I finally decided to apply for grad school to get my master's in library and information sciences. You know that part in The Mummy and the Brendan Fraser when uh, Rachel Weisz Weiss, excuse me, I should know that one because she's super hot. Rachel Weisz drunkenly declares, I am a librarian. Yeah, I'm going to be a librarian, y'all. I put it off for Mm. years, and last year I made the goal that after I got married in January, I'd finally apply. Well, 
COVID hit and everything went to shit, but I decided, you know what? To heck with it. I'm going to apply anyway. And I did. And on Friday, I found out that I got into both programs I applied to. Thank you to all the Amazeballs people, including AG, for reminding me that going back to school is achievable and not so scary. And she continues, yes, to say, now for sort of confession. In October of 2017, my husband and I, uh, my now husband and I, bought a fanciest bottle of champagne for $42 uh, because it's in the answer to, because it is the answer to ultimate question of life, the universe, and everything else. Uh, And it's been sitting in our fruit drawer with a label that says, open only in case of impeachment or conviction, resignation, 25th Amendment. That's fantastic. (laughs) Since we only got the impeachment and not conviction, I didn't open it. I recently added our democratic election. So once we drag Trump kicking and screaming out of the White House, we're walking down to Lafayette Square and finally drinking this thing. See attached picture, ignore yes. how dirty my fruit drawer is. Thanks for everything <laughs> you all do. You are kick-ass, and I hope we can be together again uh, for another DC show. 100%. Your fruit drawer looks fine, by the way. Yes. And I love this, how you had to keep adding shit to it. Open in case of impeachment and conviction. All right. No. Resignation. No. Okay, not yet. 25th <laughs> Amendment. Uh, gets COVID. Nope. He got that. Uh, all right. Fucking vote him out. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. I, I know. I absolutely love it. And uh, I I look forward to also, I think, I'm, I think I've got a bottle of Vuv somewhere that I've been sharing or saving for such an occasion. Um, because everything we threw at this shit gibbon, none of it stuck, but this is now, and you know, a long time ago, I remember when back in the kitchen days, when we were talking on Mueller, she wrote, you know, when we were like, look, Mueller's not going to save us. Don't expect anyone to be a messiah here. Right. Uh, and the Senate isn't going to impeach him. You know, we talked about maybe Mitt Romney being the white horse, but you know, you'd have to get nine other senators. It wasn't going to happen. And so we were like, and Comey was like, do you guys just stop trying to want to convict Donald Trump? You just, you should, the American people should vote him out. And we were like, fuck you, Comey. And, uh, and today's the day. So <laughs> let's get it done. <laughs> Hopefully you were popping that tonight. I'll tell you that. Oh, and if not tonight, very soon. It all depends on Florida, right? It all kind of shakes down to Florida. That's going to be an early return that we get. And if that shit goes for Biden, it's that's it. Game over. Oh, Game over, man. Beautiful. I'm still going to watch every state, though, come in. Yes. Yeah. And I'm going to scream every yeah. time. Yes. Uh-huh. I am, too. And, 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 like, finding out that, like, hopefully Cunningham won and Lindsey Graham lost in South Carolina. I know those are different states, but I just wanted to list them off. You know, Colorado, Montana, Iowa, hopefully these Georgia. returns as well. Well, you know, Georgia, hopefully we get two seats in Georgia. Texas. There's not enough champagne in the world right now. I want to hear some pop and lock it. Pop and lock, man. Pop and lock. Pop and lock. You want to watch me break dance? I don't think yeah, you want to watch me I do, dance. more than anything, actually. Yeah, pop and lock up. That's what I'll do. I'll pop champagne and then lock Trump in prison. Uh, no matter what inclination you have to leave your house tonight, please don't. Please just stay inside and stay safe tonight. Please. That's all I'm at. Yes. And, you know, yes. possibly tomorrow and the next day. Let's just hunker down for a couple days. <laughs> this week, yeah. Let's just let's just make it keep, stay at home this week. Um, yeah. And, and, and by the time we talk tomorrow, we're going to know a lot more. So until then, everybody, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. And if you haven't, vote. I've been your host, AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by A.G. and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. 
Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>